Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflow and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to discuss AEW Dynamite from last night. A fairly divisive show in this studio, I feel. I was chatting to you both separately prior to this. Hamlet, you said this show had some, obviously, amazing highs, but was a bit all over the place. And then I saw your tweet this morning saying that this was, distractions aside, a near-perfect show, Sidge. I'm all over the place on it from minute to minute. I couldn't make my mind up on it at the time during it. Not everything needs to be an angle, for Christ's sake. It gets to a point where they start like assaulting my intelligence <laughs> in terms of building interest in a match that doesn't necessarily have to have an angle leading into it. In fact, it would preserve the idea that there are genuine grudge conflicts arising from professional pride and ego elsewhere on the show. The more you do it, relentlessly, in the case of Adam Cole and Bobby Fish versus Best Friends, it just feels like, you know, you can just do a match. I don't have to believe that these two people suddenly, out of nowhere, don't like each other to build heat, in quotation marks, for a match. Just, if you present actual fixtures, it will further to me the idea that this is like a sporting league mm-hmm. with stakes, and it's an athletic competition, and that would just preserve part of the old soul of AEW because so much of this otherwise electrifying program feels like every other North American TV product I've watched over the pa- over my entire lifetime. Like even the bloody Fed, the wonderful Fed of 1990-89-1991, you didn't get any products like this. You just had guys cutting promos to build a match and then they would simply cut them and then they would simply have the match like... The WWF of 1990 and 1991, which was apparently the end of the glory eras, which I can guess you can get that opinion, but I loved it. And I still think it's a great way to do things. More Fed stuff on Dynamite, please. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've been trying to like crystallize my thoughts on why it's felt for a little while now that AEW has passed its July, August 
peak, mm. all out maybe, I guess would be the simplest way. Um, as a, not, as a, not certain individual things, but just as a whole, as a feeling, as a vibe. And this was the episode that did it for me. You, like, you were showing us the face of God in some of these segments. There are moments on these shows, and we know the one I'm talking about, and we're going to talk about it in great, glorious detail. I'm seeing the face of Wrestling God, and I don't mean JBL, but Ben Roy Turner, if he's listening. <laughs> and then I'm just being shot on for large portions of it. Otherwise, I know AEW is a buffet. I'm somebody that knows my way around a buffet, but I would never select the food equivalent of the first match on this show, or for that matter, the second match on this show, or for that matter, large portions of the main event of this show. And that, I think, is what's starting to stick a little bit about these dynamites of late, definitely these rampages of late, mm. but these dynamites too, which is a dangerous precedent to set because the one thing you could say about Rampage feeling inessential was that it was just a reminder that dynamite is absolutely vital. And there was way too much on the show that wasn't vital. Way, way, way too much. And I think what it's made me realise is that creeping feeling I had that, ah, we were at a peak, we've just passed it, I'll be keeping my fingers crossed they find a new one soon, was that increasingly more and more of Dynamite wasn't actually feeling that important, wasn't feeling that essential. And this was the week where I saw it, I saw the the gap, should we say, the difference between the stuff that mattered and the stuff that didn't was huge, was absolutely huge on this episode. I'm going to completely contradict myself here because I thought, obviously, there was a segment on this show that was and will be unforgettable, uh, and we'll talk more about it in, in just a second, Sige. But do you think, arguably, maybe they took their foot slightly off the gas on this one because we know the history of dynamites around Thanksgiving, particularly with this one, with it being, you know, people traveling mm-hmm. for, 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 for heading home for the holidays, etc. I've got two more broad points to make before we really should get going on this. <laughs> yeah. I kind of get your opinion, and it's consistent with the idea of they are in a brand new pay-per-view cycle. We're not going to get Darby Allen versus a st- Billy Gunn in a stipped-up match at Revolution. It's a filler thing for him to do before he goes on to more actual money-drawing business. There's still no excuse to do filler, unimportant things, because not everything can be A-star all the time mm. or presented with supreme importance every week. Otherwise, you just rob the pay-per-views of their premium quality and winter is coming in Battle of the Belts, etc. But you can still do better versions of mm. placeholder feuds than we're getting on AEW Dynamite right now. So that's one of my last broad takes. My second is that this company, and I don't know how they do it, still manages to do something like virtually iconic almost every single week. We'll never ever lose sight of that. This is a very positive podcast generally. But, you know, an eight can be a ten if Mm. they just stopped being a little bit lazy. Well, let's get into it. Uh, you two can put your feet up for about 10 minutes because I've uh, pretty much verbatim written this back and forth between Punk and MJF. And I'm going to start with an apology because I'm not going to do this justice. So if you'd rather, maybe just skip ahead five minutes when these two discuss it and watch the promo again yourself because it was magic. It was it was perfection, in my opinion. So CM Punk, they're in Chicago. CM Punk, of course, comes out first to a huge reception. Uh, but before he can, before he can even... You know, gesticulate properly to the crowd. MJF's music hits. <laughs> poor, Q, poor QT's just sat in the back going, well, don't you need to put my boots on yet because this is <laughs> going to be a while. Uh, Maxwell comes out. Uh, 
asshole chants, all the usual stuff here. Um, and he gets on the mic and asks Punk if it feels good to be interrupted. And he calls him Punky Brewster <laughs> as well. Just the beginning. Um, chat crowd tells him to be quiet and he politely says no. Um, and he says that Punk hurt his feelings. He'd extended his handshake for a Punk and Punk just walks away. And that almost hurt as much as when Punk took his ball and went home like a little bitch. Uh, he said, you know what was great, though? The pipe bomb. That was a great promo. It's fair to say that the pipe bomb was his best moment. The problem is that every MJF moment is the best MJF moment. Unlike Punk, he's not a one-trick pony. Look, MJF respects Punk. Everything he's done, even the fact that he's straight edge, although I could never imagine a straight edge man could look so much like a meth addict. <laughs> Why does he have such good lines about meth every, every <laughs> opponent he faces? Anyway, he says it must be difficult as well, sticking to being straight edge, because if I had your face, I'd drink eight shots of whiskey in order to look, look in the mirror. Uh, he says, there's an issue here. You know, Punk got asked who he wanted to face before he even really joined the company, and he said everyone's name except MJF. And, you know, you can pretend it's because Punk isn't interested, but in reality, it's because he doesn't want any of this. And who could blame him? For his entire life, he's been a big fish in a small pond, but now he's a minnow. He said, MJF is about to, he said, I'm going to finish you verbally quicker than your UFC career. He says, look, you can pop, drop pipe bombs all you want. I'm MJF, and I drop nukes. And then Punk slowly walks over to the corner, extends his hand, and takes a microphone and I start rubbing the material off my pajamas <laughs> in excitement for this back and forth we're about to get. Uh, Punk says, thanks for introducing yourself to me last week. I had no idea that your first name was Maxwell, because I always thought MJF stood for my jealous fan. And it sounds like it still kind of does. He's stuck on this fact that, that I, CM Punk, never brought your name up. Because the reason why I did that was the last thing I wanted to do was feed your rotten little ego. He says, I'm in your head, Max. Probably because, well, there was a poster of me on your wall. He said, I'm disappointed because last week I shut up the great MJF without even saying a word. And you had this whole week to think about some good singers to come back at me with. And you went for the lowest hanging fruit. You think you're a somebody. You think what you do is revolutionary. But in reality, you're just a less famous Miz. So MGF gets on the mic and says, sell down. He said, that was good. That was solid, really creative stuff. It's almost what I wanted. But come to think of it, that perfectly encapsulates your run here thus far. Maybe it's true. Nostalgia is that drug that causes us to misconstrue the memories. Because that's all that punk is. yes. I was a fan of you, CM Punk, he says. How couldn't I have been? In the ring, on the mic, no one could touch you. You were the best. Or so I thought. Because ever since you returned, you've struggled to beat the easiest and, and struggled to, to sort of say anything of intrigue. And he leans in and sniffs Punk. He says, oh, your breath smells like... Shh. Probably because you've been kissing so much ass recently. You've robotically kiss, kick, kissed ass, and he's going to do an impression of CM Punk. And he talks about saying, I'm so happy to be here in, insert name of town. I'm so happy to be working for, insert name of company. I'm so happy to be facing, insert name of opponent. He says, robotic, that's what you are. 
Pucker up, punk. You've gone soft. Your hair's going grey. And based on your eyes, if anyone needs to go to sleep, it's you. <laughs> like that one. Said, something just hit me. This isn't CM Punk anymore. This is PG Punk. What happened to the guy I grew up on? The, the renegade, the ass kicker, the outsider. You might as well be in here preaching hustle, loyalty, and respect. He says, here's the problem, PG. I can see you, and I can see right through you. You claim to come back to, to face all these new people, but in reality, you just came back for a boatload of money. You stayed on your couch for seven years, excuse after excuse for not coming back. Why? What were you doing? Were you too busy making comics no one read or making movies that no one saw? Or were you actually terrified, afraid that you couldn't hang anymore, Maybe afraid you couldn't hang in the first place. He says that people always said Punk should have been utilized and showcased as this number one guy. Now you've got the chance to prove the people who thought that to be correct. But can you? And he asks the crowd if they think he's the number one guy and they cheer. And he says, yeah, but will the crowd feel that way in a month, two months, a year? I doubt it. He says, look, you hate me because I represent everything about this business that you hate. I was born for this. I was, I'm every promoter's wet dream whilst you were a misfit, misfit from the dumpiest parts of the Midwest known as Chicago. I'm me. I do this for a living easily. He says, look, I had to work, you, sorry, punk, had to work your ass off to get where you are, but I didn't. After all your hard work, deep down, you know it. Your whole career, you've been nothing more than second best, whether it was the you can't see me, man, or the king of kings. You were never up to snuff. This is in, you're now in MJF's ring, in my company. Things are going to be no different. You may claim to be the best in the world, but MJF is better than you, and you know it. Punk responds by saying, you know what? There is some truth in what you said. A little bit. Scared? Yeah. Coming back after seven years, a little bit. I'm not going to lie, not even to you. I didn't know if you would care, the audience that is, or remember. I didn't know if I still had it. But trust me, though, I'm not afraid any longer. I'm not afraid of MJF. And yes, the timing might not match up. But whilst I was selling out MSG, you were marking out for Rosie O'Donnell. Says, last time you did a song and a dance, you made the New York Times. You want to sing me a song now? Don't worry. You're in the ring with a professional. You'll make the New York Times again. But this time, it'll be the obituaries. You just enrolled in a college your parents can't afford. You talk too much. Like, I do too, but I back it up. You can't do that without your backup. FTR, Wardlow, Sean Spears. He says, look, I went for the heart and soul of AEW, Darby Allen. That just chews you up, doesn't it? I beat Darby and I didn't need a beautiful diamond ring to do it. <laughs> he says, you're too busy talking about how you're the most powerful of the four fillers. You don't even realize you've been replaced by Britt Baker. He says, look, we've wasted these people's ta time. They called Chicago the second city, not because there's a city better, because, well, I'll be second proudly. Chicago is called the second city because they burned the city to the ground and built it again, and it flourished. Who's the top guy here anyway? You? No. The only time you'll be on top is if we wait around long enough for Tony Khan to have a daughter that you marry. He said, look, Last time I was here in Chicago, I gave out ice cream bars. 
The only thing I can do that can top that right now is punch you in your little needle dick right now. <laughs> Popped heel. Huge pop. Squares up to him. MJF takes off his scarf, takes off his jacket, and then slides out of the ring and walks up the ramp. A lot of me talking there, gents. Probably about 10 minutes. Over to you. An all-timer promo, this, Sige. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible. It's not even my preferred genre of promo or match promotion, but they execute it so masterfully. And we talk loads and loads and loads about balance. You can't just do what John Cena used to do back in the day and just gag, 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 gag. And the more he does the gags, the more he levels his opponents and he can't take them seriously. They did more than enough here to thread the idea that they're still a star, objectively, but they just have different opinions hmm. um, to the audience that receives them as stars or whatever. So the balance was struck perfectly. What was so perfect about this and the name drops, or like this, the virtual name drops, is that for like two years, they can't say WWE on television. So they always say, that other place. So for them to just say Miz outright, <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, like really, really, really popped me. Um the pacing of everything was great. The reactions to all of the lines, which were all brilliant, and you can't really describe how brilliant they were. It's like describing a great joke. It's just, it's just great. Mm. You can't really say anything on that. But on the Miz line, which was brilliant for reasons that were just self-evident, if you watch MJF's reaction, he's got that head tilt, and he just kind of just very, very slowly puts it upright as if to say, right, prick, <laughs> you got me with that one. I don't even want to sell it. And that's how he communicated it with his body language, which is great. The idea of uh, punk just very slowly going to the uh, microphone just to build the anticipation of what he was going to say, which just put over what he said all the more. Like, this is masterful. It went, what, it went ages. 20-minute opening promo. Someone's been borrowing from WWE. <laughs> uh, there it is. There uh, as, is. As you said when you came in the office this morning, just a station. And as I think Murray... I wound Andy up straight away. Well, and as Murray pointed out, only because there will be exact takes that say that earnestly. Insane. If that like the, people, actually the people will genuine. make that... Ridiculous comparison. Ropes. Bit too much like WWE. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit too much like WWE there, so I thought it was going to be an alternative. Lockups, is it? Yeah. <laughs> 20 minute opening promo and beating someone in the hometown. Oh, I think you've been copying from WWE. Yeah, I don't care about them anymore. I simply do not care about them anymore. It's been quite an epiphany. It's made us lose my fire a little bit. I'm going to have to discover it in some other way, but whatever. Um, these are mentally unwell people. So I'm not going to punch down at them anymore. Uh, this is just masterful. This is great. Everything was paced. Everything was sold just to absolute perfection. It went 20 minutes, and I was not ready for it to end no. when it did. It was just absolutely incredible, and it was one of those where it was so incredible that you think, they just absolutely blown their load here. <laughs> How much else can they say? And then you realize they haven't even brought up Cabana yet. Mm. Like there's loads and loads of stuff they haven't said yet. They haven't got physical yet. They haven't touched in two weeks, and it's already potentially above Page and Danielson, the biggest thing that AEW has going right now. I expect this to go all the way to Revolution. I expect them to have plotted this meticulously so that it peaks towards Revolution, and imagine how good that's going to be. Uh, the work of two masters doing a masterful thing. Incredible. I'm ready for the match now, but I'm also not because I'm desperate for more of this to uh, enrich it all along the way. Yeah, just a completely blissful experience as a wrestling fan to get to enjoy this. Um, CM Punk's the best in the world at this. Um, I'm increasingly starting to think he's maybe the best in the world at all of this, but he's especially the best in the world at this. This is the best promo battle of the year, and if you want an argument with it, it's going to be with CM Punk and Eddie Kingston. Yeah. Like, 
CM Punk's the best at this, and the fact that MJF can appear on his level shows how selfless both were in the arrangement and execution of this. This played out like the turn-taking didn't at all feel inorganic. It was as if they were wanting to be pugilists. You know, this was this. They don't just fight in the ring; they fight with the microphone. And this was their this sort of like turn taking, not because it was forced and fake, and that there was some sort of invisible wall, but because of both men believing that I'm going to let him take a turn because I can beat him on the next turn. Yeah, there's such a cool arrogance to that that you think you can let this guy have a go. And what I loved um, initially was how they. But, like, both were really selfless. I'm not talking in terms of kayfabe. I'm talking in real life here. Before CM Punk came back, we imagined that it would be MJF that made the UFC dig. But we imagined it as the, oh, he just went there. They gave that one away. They tossed it off as the low-hanging fruit. MJF was allowed to say it to get the big, ooh. And then CM Punk was allowed to call it low-hanging fruit. You had a week, and that was all you had. So you've both got all the impact, and then you've reduced the impact Mm. out of it. So no heel can ever say that again about Punk. Because they've just got every bit of juice out of that. That wasn't low-hanging fruit. That was very, very fresh. They extracted every bit of juice and then referred to it as low-hanging. I just thought, little deep, and there was loads of those. And he wore fight shorts the other week. He did. Like, there was loads of those throughout this. Both of those took what we would have seen as the the big bombs and then diffused them one after another, which was just so inspired. And that, and it takes, like, master craftsmen, as you said, to do that. Because delivered in the wrong way or in the wrong order or not with the right sort of pacing to get the reaction... You waste them. You throw them away. John Cena was a nightmare for that sort of thing. And they just they, like, they just played every beat perfectly. Um, the line of the whole thing for me, CM Punk didn't just prick at AW's inherent sexism. He kind of pricked at ours too. All this four-pillar conversation, we didn't name Britt Baker either. None of us. And we can sit here and have a go at AEW and the industry's misogyny as relates to this women's division and the problem with women's wrestling in North American wrestling. None of us stop to be like, well, I'd like Jungle Boy's had an off week. Maybe it's Britt Baker's all along. For MJF, whoever, it doesn't matter. The other yeah, yeah, None yeah. of us named Britt Baker. And by CM Punk doing that, he's... Junakiyama. <laughs> he's, not, he's not highlighting um, that... He's not doing that WWE thing of... Uh, Maybe you need to ask your girlfriend, ooh, which in itself is horribly sexist, right? like Gargano and Candice LeRae or something, you know? It's like, well, yeah, she's hard as nails. That's really cool. <laughs> what he's done, MJF will be pissed off about that because he's a misogynist and he's the heel and he'll be offended. He'll be like, comparing me to a bloody woman. Like the heel should yeah, think like that. Yeah. CM Punk does not. It's the second time he's earnestly name-checked. Britt Baker is a big star in this organization. So him as the babyface is the exact character to do that. I thought that was like such a superb way to make people maybe rethink like Britt Baker, the women's division, the four pillars, all that sort of stuff. And it isn't even directly related to this feud and he just did it anyway. And I thought that was just an inspired touch in a series of them, I guess. I actually think we're getting it before Revolution. I'll be amazed with that much big time television that AEW needs to produce coming up. Winter is coming. Um, New Year's Smash. New Year's Smash, which is the TBS show, is it? Uh, No, I think I... Oh, I might be mistaken so, here. I thought it was the bit in between Christmas and New Year. Well, anyway, so like you've got, you've at least got, you've at least got Winter is Coming, Battle of the Belts. Belt. And either or, the TBS debut and New Year's Smash. You're looking at a minimum of three, possibly four major TV shows. Um, if this Thanksgiving episode, card-wise, is AEW kind of trying to give themselves a week off to save things. They can't on any of those. So I really wouldn't be surprised. You absolutely could save it for a pay-per-view. It'd sell a pay-per-view. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a leading main event of, well, probably not Battle of the Belts, I guess, one of those other two shows that could go on as a, as a headline match without needing a title. I would have no problems whatsoever if this went 50-50 and MGF won the first match. <laughs> yeah. And then Double Juice Mayhem, proper brawl in the second, and Punk wins, like, this is the one time, funnily enough, following a 20-minute opening segment where I wouldn't be bothered if they did a little bit of old-fashioned wrestling mm. in terms of not just WWE, but, you know, the heel wins and gets a scalp and then gets his arse handed to him. Two more things before we move on. Otherwise, I suspect we could talk about this all day. <laughs> One, I loved so much, right, the needle dick line. Not just because it was funny, but it all felt, by beautiful design, I should add, very performative. There were two peacocks in there trying to... They even referenced who's got the best zinger because it was like a performance. Who's the best mic man, essentially. And then just that last line was so petty and personal and real and, oh, uh, like, hey, shut up, man, you got a small cock. <laughs> no, like it's just I don't know that just worked so well given how it just it's, it, a, it's a bit of a rap battle and then somebody like calling him I'm fat right at the very end because you go cheap to get that huge bop yeah. at the end of it yeah. you just help more from this performance into something like oh, these two people actually do like, really <laughs> each other one of them's really pissed the other one off it kind of puts MGF over for everything he said as well thought that was built towards masterfully a dick joke of all things <laughs> and the second best going into the second city stuff poetry mm. especially given where it was not just wordplay, genuine poetry. Yeah, just absolutely sensational, in my opinion. And I'm biased, obviously, but i got to agree. I think you can't hold off on this till Revolution. Revolution is the, the place where MJF wins the world title for me, springboarding off the back of potentially beating CM Punk on one of those big shows. Mm. Um, um, but I just think the fact it that lines up very really nicely come off the back of this, and I know it was you know highly anticipated, but the fact that people are going, yeah, yeah, enough about Danielson and Page in the world title, what about all this? Tells you all you need to know about where MJF is in the hierarchy of stuff, and yeah, well, that's what I think. But let us know your thoughts uh, on everything we've discussed at What Culture WWE because we've got the entire rest of Dynamite <laughs> to discuss now. Because oh yeah, a wrestling match happened after this. Fuck you, T Marshall comes out. Uh, we go to a break, comes out, and then we get the match itself. Um, Punk easily uh, out wrestling Marshall uh, Marshall for large large parts. You had uh, Komaroto and Solo uh, at ringside. The occasional distraction, but early on they get caught. They get sent to the back, and I think, cool, when's the birthday boy Anthony Gogo getting here? Sadly, that didn't happen, as we suggested on the preview. But nevertheless, uh, Marshall did get in uh, a fair bit of offense. Uh, Punk comes back, though, clotheslines him to the floor and hits a diving clothesline to take us to a break. When we come back, Marshall's in control. He hits a Liger bomb, gets a near fall off the back of it, but then he gets carried away. He starts taunting Punk. He starts jaw-jacking with the crowd. Punk comes back. High kick, the old knee in the corner, etc. The top rope elbow drop, calls to the GTS, hits it. One, two, three, a straightforward victory in his hometown for CM Punk's age. It's a good job that the opening promo was as phenomenal as it was, that this is literally an afterthought. No one cares. It might as well not have happened because if this was just this, mm. Jesus Christ, what a misfire it would have been. It was saved indirectly by how awesome the match was because I've got one, gen two generous bits of praise for this. Gentleman's three of a workman like greatest <laughs> hits set from CM Punk. One, QT Marshall's got to take him bumps. Took a tremendous one in the corner. Two, CM Punk wasn't drenched in sweat. <laughs> so I was watching this thinking, oh, I'm pretty bored by this and it's pointless. Kind of pointless, no drama television that isn't exhilarating enough to 
make me lose that rational part of my mind where I know what I'm watching here. He wasn't sucking in wind furiously, and he wasn't drenched in sweat. He looks like... The he wasn't taken to his limit like he was against Seidel, for example. Well, it looks like his body's catching up with his mind after mm, yeah. getting back in the ring for this many times. It just felt like, all right, CM Punk's back, doing a match like it's a matter of routine. That's good, because it yeah. means that he can go the distance and all the rest of it. What should have happened here? It's a visual gag more than anything else. By the end of that promo, where they kind of refused to flinch, CM Punk got knocked enough where he kind of wanted to fight with someone, and then MGF slides out the ring, because you're not getting the match yet. They're building it. It would have been great as like a pretty blackly comedic side gag if, for example, top of my head, pretty Peter Avalon came out. <laughs> Smug face, punchable face, thinking he's got a showcase against CM Punk. CM Punk does some really hard elbows in the crown of his head. Anaconda Vice taps him out in two minutes. I don't know why. There's a disconnect. I, I'm going to criticize P Punk's performance here. He went from that with MGF to doing his smiling body slam shtick, and it just felt, nah, just wrong. Ten minutes of his worst match yet, a gentleman's three at best, really misjudged for me, but it didn't matter. I echo everything Sidney just said, apart from the fact it didn't matter. I was wondering what the hell I was doing here, like, watching this. I had, like, I think this let so much of the air out of the balloon. That promo was an all-timer, and nothing was going to ruin it, but the night, I always go back to this, like, Dynamite is such a viewing experience when it's good. It is, like euphoric like the elation you feel watching a great dynamite um and it was as good as ruined in this match and i'm not sure they got it back across the rest of the night um it went way too long that energy was exactly what i was expecting as you just described and you mentioned peter avalon i thought keaton marshall fits that profile just as well a back fist an elbow a, a, a high kick followed by a tap out or a go to sleep within a minute because he's absolutely foaming and he couldn't show that against mgf because then he sells it but he can show it somewhere else and it can be against cutie marshall um, and then I'm suddenly watching, aye, the worst punk match yet, 10 minutes. Um, I'm starting to think those ugly, like the cloud of nepotism is yet again hanging over AEW, as it, as it does sometimes, and I don't want to think that. And I'm thinking, oh, is, is punk doing this because backstage he's wanting to, like, curry favour a little bit? And it's like, I'll, I'll give you 10. We'll have a really good time in Chicago, QT. Like, thanks for everything you do. Let's have a, and it's like, save that for the back, mate. Save that for the handshakes that I don't need to see on camera because I want you to serve the narrative instead. I don't care how much of a whinging prick that makes me sound. <laughs> Tosser on a podcast that's just like lording the, the opening stuff with praise. I just, I, I've adored every inch of CM Punk's run until this match and that started to like sap away as a result. And it's funny you mentioned Cedric about the, him looking like he wasn't out of gas here. Um, the commentators had to pretend he was because they knew they were watching. We were one JR lying away from... It's been worked methodically here. This match felt so lethargic, they referenced maybe that joust with MJF has kind of like exhausted CM Punk a little bit. That's not the ideal preparation for a match like this. We've all watched enough wrestling and those are excuses being made for a fairly lethargic match. CM Punk's in fucking Chicago and he's only been back two or three months. How has this happened? Like it's not I'm not calling this some sort of cartoon WWE scale disaster, but it's a disappointment on a mm. similar level. Like a huge misfire that it is a good job the promo was that good that probably nobody will talk about it after today. Um, but it did put me on a downer and then you're like, well, it's dynamite. They'll probably recover it next. <laughs> you know? 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash whatculture. Well, what came next uh, was a brief promo backstage from uh, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. Uh, it talks about momentum. They've got all the momentum in the world. Their confidence is sky high off the back of what happened uh, at the pay-per-view. And now Jurassic Express are the top, top-ranked top tag team in AW. They've been there before, but before they didn't have this momentum and they didn't have Christian by their side. He's going to make sure they win the championships. I adore this. This was mint. This is mint, right? Because what's going to happen is Jurassic Express versus Lucha Bros on that rampage was incredible. You're going to get that again. And you're also going to get Christian Cage pretty much urge them to cheat and yeah, win and be yeah. dicks. And then Jungle Boy is going to be like, no. And then that sets into motion Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy. Like You get a great a bonus match and this great narrative development that's been enriched by like some really patient and very intelligent build. Um, great stuff. Great, great stuff. And how that feeds in to how the young books had a kind of change of heart, how they've been bested. I think that's deft. Mm. Christian believed he'd made a bastard out of Jungle Boy at Full Gear. Jungle Boy was following the rules. Like, he was completely within the rules of that specific match, as he's going to do when they have a tag title match. And Christian going to be like, no, that's not what we agreed. And it's like, I didn't say I was going to colour out the lines. I was just going to work within the rules I had here. I'll work within the parameters to be the best. And Christian Cage's like, that's not what I taught you, is it? I love that, like, the disconnect between the two that hasn't even shown itself AEW somehow, with this Jungle Boy arc, done a good version of what WWE tried to do with Bailey on the main roster in 2017. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How on earth? What a flex. <laughs> and did they did they do a bit of LTST with Jungle Boy's facial hair? The pay-per-view, he sort of let it grow out. And <laughs> the next week, he was like, well, shave all that off, because I'm clearly a baby face. A baby um, face? Yeah. yeah. 
Possibly, or maybe it just looked rubbish. Okay. <laughs> I quite liked it. I mean, I'm dreadful with facial hair, so I'll take it. Yeah, you, yeah you've, you, you relate to Jungle Boy's <laughs> terrible facial hair. I, I can Same. grow a beard, so I think he's just had a look lovely. in the mirror and thought, I used to be a total piece. I'll let you be. I don't mind being Luchasaurus because I got to wear that mask and see it's our Christian Cage, obviously, in this situation. <laughs> I'm a bit like Christian Cage. Can, be, can grow the beard. Master, can be a bastard. Master Craftsman can grow a beard, a bit of a prick. Don't, <laughs> don't forget the Master Craftsman part. Yeah, that is true. Like, if you want evidence of that, you can hop over right now to whatculture.bigcartel.com nice. and pre-order my new book, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, 120,000 passionate, insightful, razor-sharp words. <sighs> about this promotion that you love, the rise of it, and the brilliance of its two-year lifespan. Doesn't appear in, like, enough high-drawing videos, but, like, we know behind the scenes what value he brings. Yeah. It's very much a Christian Cage thing. write them. <laughs> uh, right, let's continue, uh, because we go backstage again to Sad Eddie Kingston, complaining again, the miserable prick. Uh, no, he's uh, actually talk, having a bit talk of cake. About, talk about relatable, by the way. Jesus Christ. Thank you, he's Eddie having, Kingston. He's having some cake. He's obviously talking about how much he misses Moxley, wishes him a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> but here are the real stars of the show, 2.0 and Daniel Garcia and Eddie Kingston already, as he's uh, referenced before, goes... Bloody hell, here we go. Uh, and they sit down and they say, hey, hey, patting him on the head. We read that thing in the Players' Tribune. That was awesome. But it does indicate to us that you're, you're not hung hungry anymore. And he literally gesticulated towards the cake. and was like, I want a bit of cake. Of course I'm hungry. Uh, but they say, they cross the line. They say, but you weren't able to help your friend John Moxley, were you? And this instantly fires him up. But before he can swing or anything, they throw coffee in his face. Uh, security comes in to separate them all. Oh, what a turn this took. I love this. Um, there was a lot to this, for as silly as it appeared, and for as bastardised as this trope is. More on that later, constantly, on this episode. But, like, um, I think Kingston, I th- maybe this is generous, I think, because we talked about this last week, Kingston being the guy that gets interrupted has become a joke within itself that is almost separate from the AEW interruption trope. That even as I said it, that sounds generous. But like I just like watching it with Kingston because he seems to suit it. This is a guy. They could do a thing where in a, I don't know, maybe not immediately because obviously all the two point stuff's going on. But in a few weeks, he cuts a promo backstage and it finishes, and he goes, oh, "Yeah, is that, is that it? And, we, and, we done it, sort of thing." And he would be the exact guy yeah. to do that. With. Yeah, like sort of perfect. Um, this was, I think, this hid quite a powerful message and I'm not just sure if I related to it because they're accusing Eddie Kingston of being full and he would still want to eat the cake and as a man that has cried over more than one bag of crisps in his life I can't directly relate to John Moxley's current recovery but I can relate to ones of a different kind and that's not an accident because Eddie Kingston's journey to catering started in that CM Punk angle which hit home in a lot of ways when Punk was calling him a bum and the suggestion. And Kingston put it upon, Kingston put his own insecurity on CM Punk. So like, oh, because I've got a bit of extra weight on me, is it? You know, that's that was extremely relatable. That was played out here. You've got these absolute dicks in 2.0. Well. <laughs> and more on them later because they're going to do what we've been begging AWs to do for months, hopefully, on Rampage on Friday with what was set up. And I've got more on that, so please come to me first on that. Um, but... I just, this was so brilliant. You're full, Eddie. Like that, like the literal case of the man with the cake, but also because of what we've seen at Full Gear, does he have that fire within him or did CM Punk extinguish it? This was really quite artful using AW's most artless device. 
loved this. You've made me like it way more than I did. Everyone's mileage varies hugely on cheap heat. Mm. For me, there's always a time and a place. You could do everything good and everything bad. That's my general philosophy on pro wrestling. I didn't need the moxie line here, if mm. I'm being perfectly honest. I thought they were trying to compare the two. I did, but I just think, look, if you're building just what is effectively a match on Rampage that I think people are going to watch or not, irrespective of the storyline build, I just wouldn't put Moxley involved. Mm. I just think they did such a really nice and atypical of wrestling standards job of doing it. Even in a throwaway line, I just wouldn't touch it whatsoever. So there's that. I don't have a problem with one interruption in isolation because as I just literally said, anything can be good and anything can be bad, right? But the fact that it was one of many just made me resent all of them. In The Simpsons, right, when they realized after season eight, uh, that's it. Like, it's gone. <laughs> we've done all the jokes. <laughs> we've done all the jokes. And it's gone. We've done all the best jokes, but we've done all of them, and it's just simply over. They did about three or four seasons that were, like, B-tier before it went wildly crap. And throughout those four, three or four seasons, they got very self-referential, like, and it was good. But still, it wasn't season six, where someone, like, in the bar, someone pointed out, Homer, is this like your 500th job? <laughs> and he tosses the scarf over his shoulder and goes, that's the kind of guy I am this week. And it's like a great gag, but it only exists as a great gag because they are poking fun at how they can't retell really them anymore. I'm getting these vibes from these freaking constant interruptions. Mm. It's not good enough to say that what you're doing is bad, but acknowledging it, just go back to what was good. Make it good, not knowingly not great. WWE ate itself doing that yeah because you constantly have authority figures that seem to want to make the show worse than it is and wrestlers coming out and saying the reason this show sucks it has done for <laughs> forever like the um oh sorry i've messed my notes up here i've, I've taken a match from aw dark and put it on dynamite <laughs> oh no yeah. <laughs> no sorry uh bear country versus gun club came next okay um gun club attacked before the bell Bear Country, massive bastards, so they take control. Big press slam from uh, uh, Bear Boulder. I do love their names. I'll give them that. Um, but then they go to the outside, and again, the numbers game, the fact that they've got sneaky little bastard Austin Gunn running interference, etc. cetera. Uh, they, they fight back. They send Bear Country into the barricade, into the stairs. They did that on numerous occasions. And the finish, quite quickly, sees Colton hit the Colt 45. One, two, three. Gun Club are victorious. Post-match is the key thing here um, because Sting comes out on the ramp. Austin Gunn sees his chance, sprints up, and for as much as I didn't like what's just happened, my God, that... I don't know what it is. It's Spear. It was just a blonde dart of himself uh, to it's just... Sethron's fan invasion is what it, it is. Was, <laughs> so I saw someone online describe it as like Monty Brown-esque. Yeah. Just, oh, just slamming into... What happened? Darby Allen came out of the tunnel just before Austin Gunn could get to Sting. And he didn't just, care what part of his body no, he was going to hit him with. He was just going to hit him with something. Wrecked, just wrecked uh, Austin Gunn, Darby Allen. Um, and then Allen and Sting chase off the gun club and, and stand tall, basically. But... Yeah, I want to know your thoughts on all this, Sid. It was, honestly, as cool as the Darby Allen bump on Colton or Austin? Austin, done? I think it was. As cool as it looked. I think Austin tweeted, I don't think he liked my comment about turtles or something afterwards. <laughs> Does that happen if the thing on Raw 
happens. It does this bump that Darby Allen did. Does this happen on Dynamite if the thing that happened to Seth Rollins on Raw ha- doesn't happen? Mm. Like, I'm not convinced. I just thought they think it was eerily similar. I'm not suggesting for a moment that they'd be so cold-hearted because it's not like dumb creative that ruins like a really promising guy's career. Trivializing the serious thing that... Yeah, I'm not... Yeah. It's different to saying, oh, well, that guy's creative because it's just some billionaire who doesn't care about that guy's career. It's like it's not that harsh to criticize. If anything, it's mm. like it's cathartic for the wrestling fan. This was just like I'm not convinced that I just think they thought, oh, that looks cool. We should fictionalize it. Maybe like Dobbyon's done similar things. He's out of nowhere attacks. Like he started certain matches with like that incredible low pay that he does. Mm. So maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I'm thinking, have they had subconscious inspiration from that? And maybe someone should have had a look and went, don't do that after that. Save that for like three months when it's not fresh in people's heads. If it's, I would generously and fairly, earnestly say it was subconscious, mm-hmm. but that's still something that should have been thinking out. Otherwise, who cares about this? There are much better things you can do as a placeholder thing to give Darby Allen to do, or much like Miro, you could just cycle him out. I would much rather have Serena Deeb kill Red Velvet in a match to build her as a threat in this TBS title tournament than this. It's just about Billy Gunn. Yes, it's good that he looks good for his age. And it makes sense if you like want Kurt to. Russell looks good for his age. I don't want to watch him on a wrestling... Actually, I would love yeah, to watch yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I, I spoke but to But in soon. terms of yeah, what Sid Sarah there in terms of cycling Darby Allen out, it's just, I know he got screwed, but he... Well, he didn't in my opinion, but still. He just got screwed against MJF. He's just lost to CM Punk. He's clearly on a bit of a losing streak, one might even argue. I don't think beating Billy Gunn is going to change that. Exactly. So just like you say, if you want to say he's taking a bit of time out to reassess. The Billy Gunn feud is, I think, supposed to be illustrative of the sludge he finds himself trying to swim through at the moment, I I think, Um, rather than just being disappeared off television for a bit. This is the in-ring equivalent of being disappeared. Oh, you're stuck slumming it with, you know, the gun club. And, And the second... Fair enough, like we've just talked about the Christian Cage and Eddie Kingston promos in detail. But the second out there in front of the audience thing in a row that I just found myself asking, what am I watching? Because mm. it doesn't feel like AEW Dynamite. It doesn't feel like the Dynamite I want to watch. Um, the enti- I hadn't made that connection, you know, Cedric, about the, the fan running. I'd not seen that subconsciously or otherwise. But this is why I but you say think it, it was subconscious. It's an interesting part. like visual comparison. Um, but yes, the entire thing existed for that spot. Um, don't do it. Like, save the, yeah, save the spot. Um, this is dark slash rampage fodder. And you know what would be cool is if it was dark and like rampage, I guess, if it was dark, because that's where Darby Allen has to go at the moment. Like that is a great use of the rank. If you're not going to have him on television and it's going to be about right, Darby's down in the mud, like these defeats have like knocked him in the rankings, but they've also knocked his confidence. Mm. So you do some, you use that, what sometimes can be a bit irritating stat padding of like, here's this guy on Dynamite that is suddenly 28 and 1. Is he? They said like, that about QT and I was like, I have not seen. What? It's like he's got like 25 straight victories and I was like, cool, I didn't see one of those. But what a cool thing to do with a Darby Allen if you're yeah. having like that little video on Dynamite or the thing that goes around on Twitter of Darby's going back to basics and he's wrecking fools on Dynamite and he's getting his numbers back up. If he appears on Dynamite for the first time in three or four weeks with a sudden six-match winning streak, you're going to be like, oh, cool, Darby's building wins up again, like, because you receive him as the mm. big deal that you know him to be. Um, 
yeah, this whole thing existed, waste of time for one spot that probably wasn't worth it. And Sidrick's named the exact person. Like every t- every single time I feel like time has been wasted on Dynamite, I think, where's Serena Deeb? Like she's <laughs> always the one. And it's not just because she's awesome. She's the poochie of our hearts. Yeah, she is. It's not just because she's awesome. It's because she's representative of the continuing problem with AEW and women that you could address by, you know, it, c- it doesn't have to just be her, but mm. it just happens that they've got one of the best wrestlers in the whole world in this division that's got issues. So yeah, it, whatever you don't like on a Dynamite could be being filled with Serena Deeb getting TV time. Uh, they announce uh, AW Battle of the Briot uh, is coming on Saturday, January 8th. So put that in your diaries. And then Adam Cole and Bobby Fish are backstage. And Cole's ranting, saying how much the past few weeks have sucked. And they've lost all the matches. And he's telling Brandon Cutler, keep rolling, though. Uh, the books aren't cleared. Uh, and he knows this because he talks every single day because they're best friends, just like him and Fish. Uh, they're practically family. And then the actual best friends show up. Uh, Chuck Taylor... Uh, Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Utah are there, and uh, Cole's not happy about them being there, interrupting him, whatever it may be. He says, "Oh, don't start me on this best friends bollocks. You're not best friends. Where's Trent after all this? You're you're a horrible friend, Orange Cassidy. You don't do anything, you know, that you're supposed to for your for your pals. And you, Wheeler Utah, you, you probably don't even have friends. And Fish says, "Yeah, what kind of names Utah anyway?" Um, and Cole says, "You know." You think you're better friends than than me and, and Bobby? And uh, Orange st- st- squares up to them, and Cole says, oh, you guys will pay for this, and they presumably set up a match down the line. Bobby Fish taking issue with the ridiculousness of somebody else's name is funny. <laughs> it's not funny enough to just squander the idea of an interview, the sanctity of an interview. You don't write you to a fist fight. Yes. <laughs> I also believe, given that they are sentimental favourites, earned as sentimental favourites through their wildly improbably great blow-offs to not particularly great feuds, that the best friends are perfect to take Adam Cole away from the Young Bucks failures to get back on the old, uh, back at the pay window. Mm. I don't need to see an angle for this. Just make it a fixture. Just say it's happening on Rampage this week. There you go. Yeah, it just... Possibly I'm being pedantic, but I'm not the only person to hate these constant interrupted interviews, and it just makes it feel like a wacky backstage area and not a sporting broadcast that has fixtures that means something to the advancement of the careers of these athletes. To play devil's advocate, I suppose, this wasn't an interview. This was him filming something with Brandon Cutler. Although, why you'd say, Brandon, get that camera, start rolling. Well, I'm bloody so annoyed about what's been going on with us recently. And and, and, and we're best friends, aren't we? And then the best friends show up. I was going to raise that point because we've had this problem specifically with the elite before about explaining away hidden cameras. And that was... That was too on the nose, as they often are. And Brandon Cutler, you can absolutely use the device from time to time, but you've got to be careful how you do it because, exactly, you only need to ask one more question to kind of pull up that thread, and it's, it's sort of gone. Adam Cole's main event aura is indestructible. And I know that because I keep seeing it tested. <laughs> I have to watch him wrestle in NXT empty venues and do serious Triple H Shawn Michaels matches with Kyle O'Reilly. I have to watch this lame crap and I know that nothing can destroy who Adam Cole is Adam Cole even and this is not a dig at the Young Bucks or the Elite certainly but Adam Cole wrestling in multi-mans and trios matches looks like a main event singles guy that has briefly dropped down to get into the mix in these brawls he isn't somebody that is trying to work his way out of them and he looks like a main eventer that suddenly found himself 
titting around in pointless tag feuds. I love the the theoretical possibilities of my best friend Bobby Fish because he's not his best friend, is he? There's an issue here. There's a plot hole, and AW is typically quite careful with these, and they're not. Why is Bobby Fish not watching the show? Because if he'd watched the last two weeks, he'd realise that Adam Cole is probably not to be trusted anymore. He's been left behind. Kenny Omega didn't watch the tape. That detail was vital. If he'd watched the tape at full gear, he would have seen that Matt Jackson gave Hangman Page the nod. It's very, very important that Kenny Omega doesn't watch a tape of that match. One day he will. One day it's going to be really important because AEW understand the, like, the vitality of these details. Bobby Fish hasn't. Yes, it might be to lead to a brief reunion of the Undisputed Era or the full-time reunion of Red Dragon if and when Kyle O'Reilly comes in. All of these things are great, and I'm not saying they're not, but I think this asks way too much of all the wrestlers to not think that they're thick or lame or boring. And just on Best Friends, because this was the third time in a row that I was like, what am I watching here? What is this show? Who is it for? I was reminded of the, and they'll be in our archives somewhere, the original Wednesday Night War podcasts, where our, on reflection, I think, Myself and Sidgwick were so tired of having, having battling siblings in our home lives that we supplanted that dad job onto you once a week. And we would be the battling siblings <laughs> that you would have to kind of part each week. And that little bit of patter about the good and the bad of those shows. And one of my massive issues with those Dynamites at the time is there was far too much of people I didn't want to watch. And, you know, you, you, I'm not going to name names, but you can, somebody pops into your head from that, like, era of 2019 <laughs> Dynamite, more than one somebody as well. These people are like, this is not what AEW needs to exist for. There's about 20 people here that should be getting TV time that aren't. We're well, well beyond that. And QT Marshall's wrestling 10 minutes, and the Gun Club are all over the fucking shop, and the best friends are still doing best friends, like mediocre best friend stuff. And I'm just like, I'm not watching this show for these people anymore. We are so far removed from it. Put the right people on Wednesday nights, for Christ's sake. And I, it's a vibe, and they're, they're missing it. Like, this is not all out 2021 energy. And I don't want to be cruel, because Cedric's already said it. You can't have everything is incredible, but you can have everything being a lot better than it is. Uh, we continue backstage. Uh, Dante Martin is meeting with Team Taz. Leo Rush is also there. Um, Team Taz is, is desperate uh, to sign him, and Taz is getting impatient. You know, he's giving them the time. He's... Stood off and, and, and just allowed him to consider it. But they're here now. Let's get this contract signed. But Leo Rush says, look, we're not doing this. This isn't a business we want to be a part of. And he goes to take the pen. He does take the pen off Dante Martin. But then Dante snatches it back and he signs on the dotted line. Team Taz can't believe their look. Done deal. Leo can't believe it. He's speechless. And Dante leaves with Team Taz. Didn't see this one coming. Dante mm-hmm. Martin is part of Team Taz, and well, they couldn't be happier. Just amazing. I absolutely love this. I didn't see it coming. I can't figure out what happens next. It's the perfect kind of wrestling suspense. They've completely wrong footed you with Leo Rush because they showed us, or at least to me, they showed us a another Matt Hardy type charlatan figure that was just bad news around a Dante Martin that was without his regular partner. He's all, Leo Rush has already kind of split up. A, a decent relationship between Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. And he's like, oh, he's bad news. And then they have these great matches together. And even as the, the knowing wrestling fan that you pretend to be, you can see that this relationship exists to eventually fall apart. Oh, it's cool, isn't it? They're building up. And then Team Taz appear as these rivals. And then they complete the wrong foot you and he joins. And all of a sudden, your sympathy is now with Leo Rush, this guy that just plays this cocksure, arrogant, potentially dangerous figure in Dante Martin's life. And in Dante Martin, they have basically told the story that you see in sport all the time 
what we know now of young, prodigious sports star is that they've got families, loving families, parents that want to guide and mould their athletic abilities all through their young lives to give them the best chance in life. It's just nothing but love. And then sport is kind of moneyed and greedy and evil now. So the big sports star suddenly gets courted by a manager or an agent. These people that are not the best for them, they're not their family. And it's happening to one of the best athletes in AEW. It's happening to Dante Martin. He's got the worst of the evils in Team Taz. He's got the lesser of the evils in Leo Rush. And it's all happening while his actual family is on the shelf and can't protect him. And I love that. It's incredible. I absolutely love it, and I didn't see it coming. Amazing. The, the, now, I should update it, the 27-year-old piece of gold, I want to be, be a cowboy, cowboy, baby. Just looking that up, because I knew his birthday was in November. Uh, a couple of his recent tweets. These terms are ridiculous. Oh, you'll have your answer, Team Taz. Subsequent tweet. Why? Literally, <laughs> literally why he tags Dante Martin in it. And then his final tweet that I can see here. Don't make me have to do this, bro. I've been trying to call you all night uh, at Lucha Angel, which is uh, Dante Martin's handle. Your thoughts on all this, Sige? Incredible. Love Hamlet's analysis. Just want to put that over. Just to add a little bit less to it. I want to put over Taz, because I've missed doing that on these reviews. Yeah. I love <laughs> Taz was a prick. <laughs> Leo Rush was kind of a prick in response, and Taz was like, don't be a prick. I <laughs> <laughs> love that so much. It's just absolutely fantastic. Two, what contract did he sign? Was there a ruse? There's all sorts of intrigue sprawling, unspooling out of this. But my favorite thing about it was, what I love about AEW, one of their core storytelling philosophies is, you kind of know where it's all going to go, but that's Good because it makes sense. The real genius of AEW is that you kind of know where it's going to go. You know Hangman Page is going to win the world title. Like you know X, Y, and Z things are going to happen. Mm, yeah. It's how much they make you want to see them happen. That's what Russo always got wrong after his one-year, one-hit wonder. The idea isn't to make people think what's happening next. It's to make you want what happens next. When AEW deviate from that, and it's rare because they want to preserve what it all matters, the emotional core, it is exhilarating. Like the Hangman Page, Brian Cage, Pack, Orange Cassidy stuff, fantastic, and how it enriched what just happened at Full Gear. I don't know what's going on here, and it's incredible because you can swerve people in moderation, and this is a fantastic means of doing it. Then we got the quarterfinals, another quarterfinal from the TBS Women's Championship Tournament. It was uh, Jamie Hayter versus Thunder, versus Thunder Rosa beforehand. We saw Britt Baker cutting a promo saying Hayter was going to win the match, win the tournament, and be a brilliant number two. Backhanded compliment if I ever saw one there. Um, back and forth contest between these two. Uh, Jamie Hayter really showcasing how much she's developed Thunder Rosa Surprise, surprise, is excellent. Uh, she fights back with strikes. She sends Hater into the barricade numerous occasions. It's a running drop kick and a suplex on the floor. Goes for a crossbody, but then uh, <coughs> Hater catches it and sends her into, sends her into a ring price to take us to a break. When we come back, uh, Rosa counters a superplex and hits a missile drop kick instead, but then Hater uh, hits a big backbreaker uh, after that, having kicked out. She gets a near fall of her own there. Rosa puts her in the, I think it's Peruvian necktie. Uh, we get Rebel, not Reba, Reba, not Rebel, distracting the official to allow Baker to get in, Baker to get in, sorry, to break up the hold. Then as Baker goes for a super kick, Rosa dodges and accidentally Britt Baker nails Jamie Hayter with it. 
Rosa gets rid of uh, Rebel and Baker and uh, a dizzied hater tries to go after, but gets rolled up. One, two, three. Rosa wins. She will advance to hopefully lose to Jade Cargill in the semifinals of this tournament. But it was all about the post-match as well with Jamie Hayter, you know, trying to be comforted by Britt Baker and Rebel and not wanting anything to do with them. I thought this was class, and I think it really speaks to how much I enjoyed the two-hour presentation, because I thought virtually everything after this was really, really strong. Um, this felt like an actual fight with strategies employed to win the fight. Hate it was stronger, but they were equally nasty. So to compensate for that, Thunder Rosa just exploded into these really brutal, awesome-looking drop kicks. Mm. This peaked so well. It's like just a small, neat, tidy TV match, that hockey fight. I generally thought these two people really want to kick each other's faces <laughs> in. I just thought this was class. Like, really explosive. Um, Jamie Hay uh, rules, yeah. but because she's green, and this is absolutely understandable, she's always got kind of a botch or a miscommunication in her. There was none of that here. No, no frills whatsoever. Felt like a fight. A really nicely articulated version of a fight with the drop kicks. And the finish advances something else. Um... All of this was absolutely great. It's not like Sheeda Deeb, or possibly even um, Rose Sheeda mm. levels from last week, but considering where each woman is in sort of the tier and their own development, I thought this was absolutely hit the mark. Really kicked into gear this women's tournament, hasn't it, Hunty? It's made the quarterfinals. Yeah, and I think as we hoped, it might as well. Um, it's great. Yeah, completely echo that. Just great. The decision and, like... You know, the difference, I guess we often talk about the difference um, between AEW and WWE remains its attempts, even when it fails, to spot what's going to help the wrestlers rather than hinder them. This match didn't need a body part. This match needed to exploit how hard-hitting these two could be. In front of Britt Baker, literally, Jamie Hayter has got to show herself to be 10 times as hard as the person that she's currently backing up. Not least because it makes it look like a more legitimate heater for mm -hmm. Britt than... Rebel, not Reba. They play very different roles in the Britt Baker um, group. But Thunder Rosa then has to level up to that because the story will always be, I'm harder than you, I'm better than you. I, I prove that in a fight and you've got the belt. You know, Thunder Rosa has to walk around considering herself the uncrowned champion as long as Britt Baker's got it. So it was the perfect match for Britt Baker to be the audience for, to just remind you of that like ever-present threat in Britt Baker's life. So I just thought the match was spot on. None of this um, exposed... Yeah, haters, inexperienced, I guess you could call it. Um, it just highlighted what you want out of Jamie Hater most weeks, and I imagine how they'll go with her going forward. I think they'll keep it a lot simpler with her matches in the future because this style is only going to... I'm assuming babyfacer. Like, I'm guessing when the turn comes. It feels like because of the dynamic, it has to be that she turns babyface on Brit. But Brit is... We always have this thing, she's far more over. <laughs> that it could go the other way, but theoretically, this is all laid out for Hater to turn babyface. She won't do the DMD, and the DMD theoretically is a cocky thing, even though everybody loves it. It's tricky, but that's how, you know... And I love, 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 love the... Because it's one of the more... Oh, you know, the heels are going to screw up. They're going to miscommunicate. But it's one of the more organic-looking ones. I don't know if that's because I love the Sean and Diesel one so much, but, like, the super kick, missed super kick, is just one of the better visuals for, oh, yeah, that's why you would hold them up. You wouldn't just, like, it wouldn't be for a punch. Why would you need to do that? It's for a super kick. You want to hit them with a big impact shot. And, like, especially great uh, because you only got it once on the show and it wasn't undermined by happening 
again in the main event, hypothetically. So it was a good job that didn't occur um, because otherwise nailed it. Love this. Uh, Jericho's backstage with uh, Marvis. <sighs> They're talking about Thanksgiving. That he barely gets anything out before he's interrupted by 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. They walk in. Jericho says you might as well buy some chains and nails to help protect you when Eddie breaks into your house and beats your ass. Uh, and then he points out that Matt has got a square head. He says, you look like an ugly SpongeBob. It's like a box. You've got a square head. And then we wait. And eventually the crowd does what Jericho wants of them and does the square head chant. And uh, he says, if you ever, ever interrupt me again, I'm not going to toss coffee in your face. I'll knock your teeth down your throat. And they back away. But Jeff says, all due respect, watch your mouth. Yeah, I'm happy to speak on behalf of the square-headed community here. <laughs> Mocking people's physical appearances on main. Are we Chris Jericho? Opening a door. Are we Chris Jericho? Body parts have corners sometimes, Chris Jericho. Just because we can't see any on you anymore, Chris Jericho. <laughs> low-hanging fruit. I'll grab it. I've been waiting for months to. And he's opened the fucking door and allowed us to. Um, I look, yeah, this was silly Jericho nonsense after months of silly Jericho nonsense, which is why it felt so dated and old-fashioned. But having been able to get that out of my system, because, you know, we've all got heads too. We've all got feelings, just because some are rounder than others. I will say... I feel like... Some heads are squarer than others. <laughs> <laughs> Morris has got a bit of a one as well. Yeah. Like we, we used to consider him part of our community, but, you know, things change. Um, the, the positive from this, and this has got to be the takeaway, otherwise why did this exist? It was lame. Is that on Friday, Eddie Kingston is going to batter Danny Garcia in 2.0. Jericho is going to scream about it on commentary like he screams about everything, and then they're going to put him to the table... He's going to fuck off on tour and like be gone. And of course, it ends with Jericho, Hager, and Guevara beating the three of them in a Rampage main event or whatever. But I've visualized this and it's got to go that way, hasn't it? That's what, like, you don't have another 2.0 interruption without these things coming together on the night. I'm going to be generous about something I've buried all night. I kind of do like the idea of 2.0 just roaming around backstage, picking fights to get on telly. <laughs> They're the guys. I don't, yeah, I like don't the... hate that at all. It's just, it gets a bit much when there's other stuff. I'm going to be less, way less generous and positive about you about this development. My immediate thought was Chris Jericho stroking his uh, chin, his chin. <laughs> backstage, right? I'm thinking, you know, how, <laughs> you know how the crack is. Oval faces. <laughs> I know how MGF was like, you know, was uh, interested in uh, giving everyone the rub and is that really the case? Do you give people the rope or do you just want to work with people? I think Chris Jericho's like, ah, Eddie Kingston's getting over. Be a shame if uh, I took some of that Eddie dust. Pushed him in a vat of orange. <laughs> <laughs> I just think you want some Eddie dust. No. Uh, honestly. Oh, God. Yeah, you <laughs> look at everyone who's been getting over and getting buzzed. Cassidy, MGF. I think he's looked at our Eddie Kingston and thought, I can help him out. No, you can't. <laughs> he's, he's get, get him on a podcast and say, you know, we're kind of the last of a certain breed when you Eddie Kingston. <laughs> I genuinely think he's looked at Eddie Kingston and thought, I'd love to work with him. And of course he would, but with a bit of self-interested motivation, shall we say. Mm, you might be right. I think, I, think, uh, I think Eddie needs to get to the next level and I'm, <laughs> and I'm the guy to do it. It's like, he's, he's there. <laughs> if you're really, Tony, if you're really serious about putting the world title on this guy, send him my way first. I'll get him ready. <laughs> that's honestly, that's, uh, that was my read. That's, 
no-sells the back fist and hits with the Judas effect. See you later. There we go. All I know is that after Punk, MJF, and all the rest of the great stuff we've seen over the last however many weeks, as soon as we got to Marvez and Jericho, I was like, even before the angle unfolded, I was like, you're not the demigod anymore. Just didn't get that vibe from him mm. at all. Which means he needs to go away for a bit. He's the master of frigging going away for a bit, knowing when the run is drying out. That time is now. Uh, we get the... Uh, put him over to the goddamn yeah. Oh, yeah. hilt in my book, by the way, which you can order at whatculture.bigcartel.com. Going back and watching 2019, like, people forget. And part of the problem is he's making you forget. If you are an American listener, for example, and you listen to this on Thanksgiving, oh, bloody hell, I've had enough family. I'm going to have to put up with them again in a month's time. Well, escape. Go and go in a little quiet room and read Becoming All Elite. Whatculture.bigcartel.com. And thanks for plugging it because <laughs> it's not even his book. <laughs> it's Sidgwick's book. I know where I'm going to be with a slice of cake on Christmas Day. It's in the toilet. Reading Sidgwick's book. Uh, right, we have Friendsgiving backstage next. Uh, it's Brit and Rebel and Tony Schiavone. Uh, and she says, all right, it's not started very well, this Friendsgiving, because Thunder Rosa won. But never mind, I'm still champion. That's all that matters, and that's what I'm thankful for. And Tony goes, yeah, about that. So here's some footage in a screen that just so happens to be next to us of Rio not actually getting eliminated from the Casino Battle Royale uh, all out. And uh, he announces that Tony Khan's made a Black Friday deal match uh, featuring uh, Britt Baker, and if, if Riho defeats her, she gets a future title shot, um, and Baker's furious. She says, look, if I want a Black Friday deal, I'll go to the mall. Tony, I assume she means Tony Schiavone, Tony's not invited to Christmas, and he's devastated, and he goes to do the DMD, and she goes, which did pop me this bit, no, we're not doing the DMD, you've ruined it. It's time for her to lose one match. I think it's time for her to do the thing that AEW champions all do, and they lose a match at some point on telly, and then there's another one. I say that because I love Riho, and I think that's the best way to introduce, reintroduce her into the mix. Um, this is fake, contrived nonsense that I could not take seriously at all, and it wasn't anywhere near amusing enough to justify how contrived it was. Agree with all of that. Imagine giving a woman agency. Imagine instead of setting up a pretend Thanksgiving table and a ludicrous screen next to it, and all the crap that went in this segment you had, instead of a man, Tony Schiavone, saying to <laughs> Britt Baker, uh, by the way, i got a bit of bad news to you, Britt, I think you should watch telly, and a man, Tony Khan, say, I've been reviewing 17 hours of footage and I've found this. Have Riho say, I've got an announcement to make, um, I wasn't eliminated from that match, and I know I wasn't, and that was unjust. And have that in a very brief promo with Tony Schiavone and say, and I went to Tony Khan and I made him mm. review the footage. And now I've got this match with Britt Baker and I'll see you Friday or whatever. Imagine doing it that way. Instead of all of this absolute fake pro wrestling turd, we got shouted out instead. I didn't like this at all. The DMD line was really funny. Yeah. Like Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone have got incredible chemistry. Incredible. Um, and they can use that whenever they want. It didn't polish this turd. Mm. Right. Colt Cabana, Brian Danielson next. Been looking forward to this all night and it didn't disappoint. Nice technical uh, back and forth between two men to start things off. Uh, not all Brian Danielson. Colt Cabana showcasing his, his talents there. Uh, and he, he gets a few shots in. He goes for the flying apple, but then Danielson reverses it. Release German suplex. Corner drop kick. He goes for a back suplex from the top rope, but Cabana fights it off and he hits a moonsault. But then... Danielson catches him again and he gets both his arms and Cabana's scrambling and trying to get out of it because we all know what's coming. He's not just going to kick your head in. 
he's going to kick your teeth out. And that's exactly what happened. The stomps on Cabana's head. He rolls him over. Again, a bit like with Evil Uno last week. You think, just pin him, mate, because he's out. But instead, not only does he put a submission on him, he flexes beforehand. I don't think, you might be able to correct me on this, I've ever seen Daniel Bry- Bry- Brian Danielson do a proper pose like that outside of just being a complete git. I'll show you an uh, <laughs> okay. MP4 later. It rules. So he flexes, puts him in the labeau lock. One, <laughs> two, <laughs> three. Gets the submission victory. And yeah, they point out, he's knocked his bloody tooth out. We'll talk about the promo afterwards, but I sense you want to talk about the match first, Sige. Yes. I love it, and I get disappointed by it at the same time, but I understand that disappointment is for a purpose. They have worked in a very famous ROH hour-long match. We know they can do this. It doesn't serve the story at all for Danielson and Cabana to have like a 15-minute banger that does something with Cabana but gets one person over and puts one person over, the the AEW standard. Like, I want to see that because I know it would be good. But it, this does so much more for this Danielson character to kill what are presented as actual dorks in five minutes and knock their teeth out. If the tooth didn't come out, I wouldn't be that high on this because they maybe could have done a bit more with it. But the tooth came out. And Danielson <laughs> was, out. Like, <laughs> Dan was like, Dan was like, oh my God, I've knocked his fucking tooth out. <laughs> yes! You could see his eyes go to it. And he's, just like, he's got the best smile because he's, he's loving his life, Danielson. He's like, <laughs> and he like you could see if you watched it in picture, but he could not wait for them to yeah, get back nice commercial break. It's great, and it makes him look like the most vicious bastard, which is work does in itself. Glorious bit of like wrestling's weird serendipity. Oh, wasn't it great that someone got their tooth knocked out? And I bet you like gap tooth cabana's like great bit of business, great <laughs> yeah. bit of business. Put, put my face on a t-shirt with no <laughs> yeah, teeth. <and> yeah. <laughs> Loved all that. If it wasn't for the tooth, I would have thought it was a bit too much of a retread. But there's so much that can do with this. It's cruel that you don't get the Danielson match, but that's the point. Yeah. And it's awesome. What they could do is they could pick a guy from the Dark Order that they really want to highlight in week three, four, five of this development. And they could teach Daniel, uh, re- like take Danielson to the limit. Yeah. And it's just like, this is a bit harder than I had in mind, and then that's when he does the TKO head stamp in the aftermath, oh, and that's John when Silver, Page please. comes out. John yeah, Silver, Silver, Silver in New York fine. for that. So it'll mean more. It means more for the match with Danielson Page that he's killing them very quickly, even at the expense of TV matches. That could be better, but it's not for the story. But yeah, give Silver the one where it's like, Jesus Christ, this Danielson, this version of Danielson is getting taken to the limit, and Danielson's like, I can't have that. I'll have to literally TKO him with my foot. That is a way more reasonable analysis than I had on why I didn't like this match. So I kind of feel like anything <laughs> I can say now has uh, has been like countered effectively by Cedric before I even said it. I, I wanted more. It's, this was Chicago. I think you. I, th- I was feeling like you could have had both because absolutely, especially with the tooth and especially with what we got towards the end um, of Brian's viciousness and how he just like you could argue that he's almost been a bit too villainous, you know, like because it was just last week that he told us at least he was just coming out to congratulate Hangman Page regardless of how this has really quickly devolved into Brian looking like one of those people in an old sepia-toned western that would tie a woman to the train tracks <laughs> like with his grin at his point <laughs> like it's, we've got there pretty fast and I don't know if like a longer match might have felt more of this organic decline of um, Brian's empathy you know he's like 
This has been nice. Best mates, Wrestling Road Diary in your hometown. Enough. Enough. I think like you could have got there in like like ten or eleven really great minutes instead of these like five particularly cruel ones. But yeah, he gets a lot of leeway, Danielson, because he doesn't waste anything. So like this is still really entertaining. I think I wanted slightly um more from the match. There was something else I was thinking about in this match as well. Um it feels like and fair play, because the booking didn't feel like it made sense. On the preview, all the time, the AW preview, we have so much fun previewing what they might do, and then nine times out of ten, they do it better than anything we could have thought about. Miro beating um, Brian Danielson for me was because it felt like he'd slot perfectly into the John Moxley role, and he'd do so with his own story about needing to win a belt. <coughs> Turns out, Brian Danielson has slotted into the John Moxley role, because John Moxley destroyed... Uh, ten. It was ten, wasn't it? Blooded him up. They were showing you the... John Moxley brutalizes all of the Dark Order angle before it happened. They've lifted him out and they've put Brian Danielson in. And now Brian Danielson is brutalizing them instead. And they're playing out completely differently. This wouldn't have, John Moxley would have battered Colt Cabana in Chicago, but it would have played completely differently to this. And it's great all the same. If you build stars that are believable characters that have their own lives, it does show that you can drop them in in place yeah. and tell the same story just ever slightly differently. And I love that because you can't now. Moxley's going to come back as this. Like a folk hero. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you thought he was in 2020, Christ, you're going to double it by the time he returns. So you can't do it. Brian Dinosaur can instead. Brilliant. That's what happens when you've got a roster full of people that know themselves. <coughs> so, yeah, we uh, we go to a break, and when we come back, uh, Danielson's still in the ring, uh, and he says, it's funny, when I debuted in Chicago, I got a much different reaction. Is it me, or is it you, Chicago? I've got one word to describe this. Fickle. He says, I'm not Fickle. I came out, I said I was going to kick Colt's head in, and I did. And I knocked his tooth out. And like you say, he's buzzing for that. He says, next week we're in Atlanta. I hear there are a couple of Dark Order members who are from there. I'll fight any of them next week, and I'll kick their heads in. Isn't one of them uh, Anna Jay? That's the guy, isn't it? One of them's Anna Jay. Um, and he goes, to, he goes to go after Hangman, but uh, Hangman Page's music hits, and he comes out. He says, look, I get it. You made your point. But this is Chicago. This place holds a special place into my, in my heart. So you know what? If you're that desperate for a fight, let's fight right here for the title, right here and now. This Dark Order stuff's over. And yet again, a brilliant excuse from the... I mean, he said he's not a heel. He said he's just being himself. What he is, he's a git. <laughs> Danielson says, of course you want to wrestle me now. Now I've already wrestled. That's not cowboy shiz. That's coward shiz, he effectively says. And Paige says, fine. Make your excuses sort of thing. But I'm not leaving Chicago without a fight. So since you've just had a match, I'll let you have the first shot. And he puts his hands behind his back. And Brian shakes his head. And he says, look, I'm insulted. He drops the mic and slaps him anyway. And uh, they go at it. Uh, Brian sends Paige over the top rope. Page on the apron. Sets up. Goes to the bookshop. But Brian dives out of the ring, Sitch. Electrifying. Electrifying glimpse into what should be an absolutely incredible match. Um, yeah, great angle. I had something else to say, but I can't remember it. Maybe it'll come to me later. It's uh, it's not the top story in AEW, but it's pretty close, isn't it? And we'll take that considering the top story is CM Punk and MJF. Uh, I Hangman Page as a this is the first and maybe the last successful defense of Hangman Page's title if many projections are true and that this is not going to be, it's going to be a good time rather than a long time with Hangman Page as world champion. Um, 
what a character he already is. As you've kind of pointed out, just like last week, the order of events has to play out this way in order to protect the integrity of every character involved. Hangman Page literally sticks his neck out for the Dark Order <laughs> against a man that is kicking heads off. Like, there is no more a heroic act in a segment where he's just been called a coward. I, I love the details already, and this program is two weeks old, and as Sidgwick has alluded to, and Page is amazing at this as well because the bookshot, the bookshot is almost better teased than it is delivered because it never fails to make you feel like the match is going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen when they fight. Like, somebody rolling away from the bookshot leaves you absolutely desperate to see it, and it's such a cool finish. It's it's. I was rock hard when he just put his hands in the right place on the top I, rope at Revolution. That's so. it. It's it's. I would argue it's better than somebody pushing away. Oh, from Jake Hager. <laughs> somebody pushing away from that first stunner that they're ever going to get. Yeah, I would say this is on a par. With, and you know, there's there's no higher comparison. And to add to that point, there next week you could have Hangman Page come out and say, right before before they have the match, yeah. if he's going to face whoever from the Dark Order, right. I know he said last week you had your match. Week before, I wasn't in my gear. I'm here. I'm in my gear. You're you're in your gear. You're ready for a match. Let's have a match. And he's going to go. Of course, you're going to say that when I haven't had time to prepare for you. And then Alan Angels can just get the microphone and say, "You might win the match, but I'm going to end his career." And then Daniel <laughs> just elbows to the joint of his nose and just kill him in ten seconds. <laughs> Uh, we get a nice little video package hyping up uh, Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander. That goes down the uh, final quarterfinal, I believe. Goes down on next week's Dynamite. On Rampage this week, we are getting, as we mentioned, Eddie Kingston versus Daniel Garcia, Britt Baker versus Riho, and Colin Fish versus Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Utah. We will preview that all tomorrow on our AW Rampage preview. Can I just drop in here? I want to give kudos to AW for what I think is a pretty cool strategic move. They are trying to... Do away with this feeling we've all got and we've all verbalised about Rampage being the B-show. One of the coolest things about Dynamite when Rampage didn't exist was that you would have virtually the whole card, say, for maybe one match, and they would use this last segment for the main event as, to get you hyped for it. Is this, is this, is this, and is this, because this is a real sports show. They have identified that a major problem with doing that when Rampage exists is being like, coming up on Rampage, but f- that, because next week on Dynamite, it's this and this and this. <laughs> like, fair play for them for spotting it. And now doing the thing where, like, no, the next destination is the most important one, and that's Rampage. On Rampage, we'll tell you what's happening on Dynamite. And it's one of everyone's favourite low-key bits of the show as well. Yeah. Like, oh, next week we get this! This is supposed to be the ride that never ends, and you're telling us that we can take, we can skip Fridays because it's all about next Wednesday. Yeah. I wish I'd said that on a podcast, but it is something they've spotted, and I'm, I'm glad they have because I genuinely think it will help the bigger picture. Also, I love the fact that I don't want to do this. It's, again, it's low-hanging fruit, but that's what you got here. What do we get on NXT 2.0 for next week? Joe Gacy's all-inclusive invitational. <laughs> I read the results. Who's the baby face and who's the heel? There's no time. There's no time. If, uh, in the words of uh, Mark Henry. Well, looks like we've had enough talk. It's time for the main event. Oh, right. Thanks, Mark. Um, <laughs> I've got no right. It is uh, seven people who are beloved and Cody Rhodes. Uh, Cody Rhodes, <laughs> Death Triangle versus Malachi Black, Andrade El Idolo, and FTR uh, no. for a four-on-four <laughs> match. Cody's reaction thoughts, Sige, before we talk about the match. The uh, reaction team coming out, first of all. I'm, a sign of things to come with that weight belt, I'd say. I'm, in the, I'm always in between thoughts of how much is this on purpose? Yes. That was on purpose. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> Cody starts the match. 
Get the real goddamn stars here, guys! <laughs> I did. On, on purpose. I felt this week, I don't know if this is just me seeing things and just in, like starting to morbidly, against my will, enjoy this story. But like you know, the, the entrance he came up with, they, they shot more of it when it was lower. This week, I was like, he looks like he's in a prison. <laughs> prison of his own making. EW. <laughs> like the, the bars look like bars for the first time. Instead of like a chandelier sort of thing, it was like, oh, what has he become? So Cody starts the match off well, with Dax. Um, and like I said, I, I didn't really make many notes for the early start because he hits the drop down right hand, hits the power slam, and goes, yeah! Woo! <laughs> throws the belt into the crowd. And I think, oh, I, I, I genuinely... I watched that and thought, oh, I'm surprised he's still doing that. And then about 30 seconds later, it comes back into the ring. Did you see the fans? It was like Jesus had returned. <laughs> it's like Jesus had returned to the planet to save us all from this hellscape that it's turned into with COVID and culture wars and all the rest of the bollocks that make it so horrible. Oh, yeah. Yes! <laughs> yes! It was amazing. And he knew what he was doing. <laughs> And uh, not only, so he gets thrown in the ring. I just, I, I, got, I missed loads of stuff that happened in the match, probably. Because he gets thrown in the ring, and they just chug him to the outside. And Andrade goes, bollocks, that's going under the ring. And I'm like, yeah. And then he found it and put it back on. <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing. Anyway. <laughs> he went under the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Death triangle come in. Uh, they hit that triple, uh, triple buzzsaw kick, triple drop kick. And Andrade, they get a two count. Cody immediately tags himself in. Everyone's like, oh! And then the, the, the heels go, right, time to rush in. Immediately gets overwhelmed. Everyone loves it. Phoenix comes in, does all the brilliant Phoenix stuff that he does. Springboard, double cutter, to bloody Escalera, Hurricane Rana on Andrade, kicks to Malachi Black. But then Tully distracts him. That allows Black to hit an STO as we go to break. Uh, when we come back, uh, Pack comes in, missile drop kick, big Bloody, I don't know what it's called, Fosbury flop onto the outside. Uh, Wheeler cuts him off, though. It's a backbreaker. Just a load of big moves after that. Uh, Cody goes for the thrust kick and Andrade, but Cody accidentally kicks Pack instead. Uh, so everyone goes down. Tully and Arn face off in the ring. Tully takes off his jacket. It's going to be going down. And then Jose, the translator, goes... What's going on here, lads? And they go, oh, not you. He, he seems to start grabbing his cack. <laughs> Did you see that? He started, like, grabbing his cack as if to say, like, oh, I'm the big cack here. This is, like, busting oh, brain. There's, there's actual history here. <laughs> Get away. So they uh, they beat him up, chuck him to the outside. And I believe then Alex Abrahanes is like, yeah, he is a prick, isn't he, lads? And just starts kicking him in as well. Um, FTR come in. Suddenly Arn is, is isolated. He's uh, He's cornered. But then Phoenix hits a crossbody, Penta hits some sling blades, Penta hits a dive, Phoenix hits a top rope crossbody on the outside, um, and it looks like Pax going up top to hit the hit his finisher to, to win the match when Malachi Black misses him, Andrade hits the hammerlock DDT. One, two, three. The heels uh, win the match, and as Michael Hamlet subsequently pointed out to me, Malachi Black gets mugged off by Andrade, who doesn't give him a handshake post-match, but still... <laughs> Your thoughts on on this match and, and everything that we saw? I give it Debbie first because I really like this. Yeah, this was the uh, bring off. This was the uh, <laughs> this was the best bit of this Cody thing thus far, especially in terms of his performance. But I think that bar's really low. I don't think the story's been very good. And we talked at the start of this about the MJF CM Punk promo being so good that 
we want to see that match twice. Whatever happened here, I don't want to see any of it once. So the moves were great, which we kind of projected. I want to see every individual permutation of what I saw. I couldn't give a toss about any of these. <laughs> so um, awesome. And apparently, nor could Andrade, because, yeah, that pie off of Malachi Black, go back and watch it, because it doesn't feel like something that's supposed to be happening. And then the cameras pick up on it, and then they focus on Malachi's hand. And I think, oh, they're just saying that there's going to be a handshake between these two. And Andrade still doesn't shake it. And he's looking, right, this is a choice. Go back and I, I want to see this unpicked and figure out if it, like, if it is just, I'm just going to take the piss out of you on telly because it's funny. Because Malachi Black even looks mugged off. He kind of like stares down the lens and being like, wah, wah, like, and they've just won this match. So that was weird. It's, these are like, this was fine. Like the moves were great, but like so were the moves in early Dynamites. And I didn't feel much for them either. The Cody character was funny in parts. Let's get out of NXT then. Well, I, I, there was elements 2.0 that I'd rather watch than this match this week. Um, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Go on. Just, look. It's fine. It's always going to be Cody at the heart of this, I can tell. It's Crazy always, it's, Chicago here, you want it? It's mad. It's like, it's like it's always going to be Cody that comes between me and Sidgwick because he's always going to look for all the goodness in that man and I'm always going to see all the faults in him. Um, and I just, as much as I enjoyed his performance in this, I just felt nothing. So I like the Tully and Arn standoff. You'd have to, be dead, not to like have your pulse racing at them to come in, almost coming to blows. But just like so this was better than the two tag team matches at full gear, and that's about as kind as I can be about any of it. Yeah, I didn't really care at all about the full gear thing for whatever no. reason. I absolutely thought this was class, just absolutely class. Like the way it belt stuff was great, <laughs> funny, and the actual <laughs> last five minutes, I was in just in bliss. The Nirvana for me, I, I don't know why I loved it so much. It was basically what it was like. I'm not the kind of guy, like we do in bloody wrestle culture, to solicit our loyal listeners and say, I know, send one into the office. <laughs> send one into the office. I love Galaxy Chocolate, right? But the best thing about Galaxy Chocolate is eating more of it. <laughs> I could just eat it and eat it because like the, the, like the eighth row tastes better than the first. I don't bother, buying, I don't bother buying ripples because it's not thick enough Galaxy, is yeah, it? Yeah, just yeah. Get the Maybe to give a flavour. What? Any particular flavour? Just bog standard. Just smooth milk, baby. Caramel's very good, though. The caramel's good. Yeah. Yeah, the ripple's good. It's all good. But the, the normal what are those galaxy... galaxy um, what are the chocolate button galaxy? They're great. Like, we've been talking for an hour and a half about Dynamite. We do need to kind of wrap this up. Shut <laughs> up. You talk too much at the start. Maybe, <laughs> maybe shut up at the start. <laughs> Is it counters, they're called? They like chocolate buttons. Yes, the galaxy yeah, ones. yeah, yeah. I, I like the Aether Rover Galaxy better than the first. Oh, so great. <laughs> it gives you, like, you know the DiCaprio... Uh, oh. Unbelievable. Galaxy, galaxy chocolate has got great fun on Wales. <laughs> galaxy, greater than symbol. Uh, last one, Wolf of Wall Street. Margot Robbie, right? <laughs> Galaxy goddamn chocolate. Um, oh, when people do those um, tier things just to get engagement. Yeah, and like, yeah, They put Galaxy like third down or something. like, why are you lying? Like, you're just chasing angry quote tweets. Fourth row, fifth row, sixth row, Phoenix doing stuff. Like, Malachi Black versus Phoenix has got five stars written all over yeah. it. The way he counters that incredible offense was great. Move, move, move. It was just, take your turn, do your move. Take your turn, do your move. And I was going, yes, yes, it's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And then... They pay it all off. And it feeds into the finish this because Pac's the guy you didn't want to see get beat. And after he got beat, you kind of want to see him do loads more after this because they do move, move, move. It's all accelerating. It's all absolutely great. It's all performed and paced brilliantly. So you feel like then they disrupt the pattern in the coolest goddamn way possible. Move, 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 move. Andrade is about to do the knees to the corner. Pac gets his hands on each of the top ropes in the diagonal corner, lifts himself up, 
as a bullet is coming into his face and with millimeter perfect timing, does this like release overhead suplex mm. in the corner. If you watch Pac do that, it's possibly the coolest thing I've ever seen in pro wrestling. I'm going to MP for it and put Pac over and hopefully get numbers because he won't read it. He doesn't care about Twitter. He's the best of us, like Moxley. Oh, God, I loved it. I don't know why. It wasn't even that great. Amudo was like, that's Dynamite's about seven. And Pac does an 11 thing. <laughs> 11th row of Galaxy Chocolate. Don't, <laughs> don't send it in. The mythical 11th row. <laughs> don't send one in. Save your money and buy... Become an all elite. What culture yeah. up in cartel.com? Yeah, don't send it in. Should we order galaxies from a cash and carry? Put them on what culture up in cartel. Right, well, let us know your thoughts on this episode of AW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Something very special coming your way in the next few days with regards to a nice little roundtable discussion. Uh, and also, of course, tomorrow, if you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from, our AEW Rampage preview will be there as well. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.